So, Paula, we have some news to share. We do. We do. There's there's an update to, to, to the podcast. Yes, an actual update. Hey, Forgotten Prison listeners, this is Simona Licea. And I'm Paula Whistle. And we know it's been a while since you've heard from us. Uh, we are working on following up on all of your feedback. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. And thank we, you. Yeah, thank you. And we are working on some stories to follow up. We do have an update to a story that we did in episode two of the podcast. Yes, episode two, if you recall, was about the Special Commitment Center, where the state sends people who have been labeled sexually violent predators after their prison term. It's a civil commitment. They are there indefinitely. They get out when they can prove they're no longer a threat to the community. And this is the only place on McNeil Island that's still functioning Mm -hmm. in, in any kind of way. In episode two, we spoke to Laura McCullum, who has been a resident at the Commitment Center for more than 20 years. Um, I should say was a resident Mm -hmm. of the Special Commitment Center because we recently learned um, that she has been ordered on conditional release. Yes, she has been released and is uh, living off the island. You know, and this is a really big deal. When we talked to her, she had been in the Commitment Center for decades Mm -hmm. and trying very hard to get back out into the community. So the fact that she's been released is a big deal because it is very hard to get out of the Commitment Center. Yeah, and and she was also the only woman there. And so, you know, the first woman in the country to have been labeled a a sexually violent predator. We broke all this down with KNKX Morning Edition host Kirsten Kendrick. So here is that conversation where we get into what this means for Laura and, and what this looks like. Simone, tell us about Laura's case. Well, Laura McCollum uh, in 1990 pleaded guilty to child rape in the first degree. Uh, Her victim was a two-year-old girl. Um, She then served a a five-and-a-half-year prison sentence and then was sent to the Special Commitment Center. Yeah, so she actually elected to go to the Commitment Center in the 90s. This is just, you know, several years after the law had been passed creating the Commitment Center. Um, She thought it was a place where she might be able to get treatment to stop doing what she was doing, and she has been there ever since. What was her life like at the Special Commitment Center? Well, in many ways, it's not all that different, at least just from viewing it, you know, looking at it when we were there from a, being in prison. Uh, it's surrounded by Concertina Wire, the facility is. Uh, she had a little more freedom of movement. You can go in and out anytime you want out, outside into the yard. Uh, she would go to treatment uh, two hours a week. The other thing to point out here is that Laura was the only woman at the Special Commitment Center. She was the first woman in the country to ever be sort of given this label, the sexually violent predator label. So life was kind of difficult for her. Um, In the beginning, you know, she was kept at the women's prison. She was that's where she did her her commitment and then was later moved with the men. 
she was in group therapy with the men and, and that that was difficult for her because um you know that was triggering in all kinds of ways and so she eventually then moved to have her her own treatment you know she was by herself in, in her own wing so it was very isolating mm-hmm. and and sort of even more challenging i think than you know even the the average commitment i think the thing that she did have in common with the men who are there is that it's an indefinite time you you spend there there is no release date and uh unlike prison where you know when you're getting out it's a civil commitment and you aren't released until it's deemed that you are safe to release it into the community so you can be there decades like laura and when you spoke with her for the podcast it seems that that really got to her yeah that feeling of not being able to get out um we did try to reach out to uh laura through her attorney after we heard that she had been conditionally released, um, he declined to uh, to participate in an interview, just want to respect her privacy at this time. But when we talked to Laura back in November for the podcast, she was sort of working on submitting this plan for her conditional release. And I think just that wanting to leave was just really, really potent. I don't want to die in this place, over on this place. Uh... I can't imagine what it was like to be an inmate here and be buried in a place that didn't even mark your grave. Um, To have this stigma and to die here too, that's just like, I at least hope I'm on the other side, you know. Well, she is on the other side now, off the island and on conditional release. What does that mean? Well, it's uh, quite restrictive. Uh, she's constantly monitored. If she goes out, there's a an approved chaperone. Anything she does from what movies she watches uh, to where she goes, when she goes, who she goes with, has to be approved by a transition team. So it's, and there's a curfew. She can't go out at night. She also can't be outside her home except to maybe go to the car between 6 and 9 a.m. and 2 and 4 in the afternoon. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... A lot of people, when they hear, you know, that a sex offender is being released, is coming into the community, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of fear about what that means. But it's important to understand that, you know, this is a conditional release. This is not um, a a bus ticket and you're on your way, right? There is a team. The state is still going to be highly involved in Laura's life. And the trick here is if if she violates these conditions, she could be sent back to the island. So the stakes are really high in all of these. Are the strict rules of the conditional release meant to make us safer? Prosecutors will say, yes, it's making us safer. We're locking away the worst of the worst. And other people will say, not necessarily. And is this really necessary to keep us safe? Is it really doing what it was intended to do? You know, folks will point out, too, that um, when we talk about sex offender treatment, particularly for these people who, who the state has sort of called the worst of the worst, it's really important uh, to build community relations um, for those folks. And so when you go through this really isolating commitment process, and then even on a conditional release where you still might be isolated, it brings up questions as to, again, whether the treatment aspect of this is effective. Has Laura's victim responded to news of her conditional release? I did call her after Laura was released, and she's angry. Uh, but she was told that there really isn't anything she can do. And she said she's she said she won't let it bother her. And she'll just wait and see if Laura abides by the, the guidelines that she has to follow. All right, Paula and Simone, thanks so much. 
Thank, Thank you. you. That conversation was produced by Morning Edition producer Ariel Van Cleve. Stay tuned for more Forgotten Prison follow-ups in the coming months. If you want to re-listen to that episode about the Special Commitment Center and Laura, it's episode two of Forgotten Prison. I'm Paula Whistle. And I'm Simona Licea. Listener.